With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I'm sure that Ricardo is being auditioned for that Red Bull seat. And then next year, it will basically be either, okay, they know Ricardo can do it and they'll bench him for another year before putting him in 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 the following year. Or he'll take over Perez's seat next year. But I'm certain one way or another, we're going to see Liam in that Alpha Tauri next year. Because with what he's been doing, you, you just can't keep him out. It's not possible. Because if Red Bull don't put him somewhere, I can guarantee another Formula One team's going to come and snatch him up. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to the On Track GP podcast. Here we go. We're very excited. We have some breaking news. But first, let me re- reintroduce, as always, Richard Bradley. Very good to have you. You are not jet lagged, are you? I'm, Amazingly. I'm not jet lagged. I should be. I, I left for Tokyo on Thursday morning and I got back home at 11 o'clock last night. Yeah, so, I would be jet lagged. And it's a Tuesday today. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Monday. Um, yeah, ridiculous. Uh, incredible. And just from, what, what are you doing over there? What's happening over there? So uh, I was working in the Super Formula Championship at the weekend. Um, there's a driver who I've got a long relationship with, uh, Jem Bollock Bassi. Uh, he did Formula 2 last year and now he's competing in Super Formula. So I was his spiritual guider, shall we call it. Nice. Um, just advising him and yeah, had a great weekend. Oh, good. And a successful weekend as well? Uh, in some ways, yes. Um, unfortunately, you know, we made a big jump in terms of pace, but at the start, he uh, he activated the anti-stall and then we had a small off on the first lap. So we ended up uh, falling to last, but um, the pace was good. And then we just got into a, a Japanese-style DRS train. <laughs> yeah. And it was just one of those races. But no, a big upkick in performance. And um, the way he's going, I think it's a name you're probably all going to be hearing in a few years. Very interesting. market. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, well, look, the breaking news, really, in the land of F1, and it's all anybody's been able to talk about, particularly because we didn't have a race last weekend, is Daniel Ricciardo is back in Formula One in an Alpha Tori. Now, I wasn't really expecting that. I've got to be honest. I thought there might be an opportunity for him to come in back into a Red Bull, but it feels almost like a step backwards for Daniel Ricciardo? It's strange, isn't it? Because like when you watch the videos of him, it's, it, he says it's like going back home and it's it's where he was, what, 10 years ago, yeah. I think. Um, and y- yeah, you look at it in that way. But I think that, I think there's something bigger going on here. I think that it's not Daniel Ricciardo's in a position that people normally are when they go to, to Alpha Tauri where they have to prove themselves and try and hold on to their career. I'm pretty, I'm, pretty suspicious that Red Bull are using it as an audition for him. Mm. Now, my theory behind this is 
Perez hasn't been uh, performing at the level uh, that he was at the beginning of the season in the last few races. Now, it's still no problem at all because he, he's running uh, he's running P2 in the championship. And if you've got a number two driver, or, sorry, a second driver, that's all you could ask for, right? Yeah. But in the future, Red Bull have obviously got their wind tunnel penalty. We know they're not going to have as dominant a car as they do now because it just doesn't last in Formula One. It's as simple as that. So Red Bull are probably thinking they're going to need somebody who's going to be able to be similar level to Max and not have these dips in form. And, well, since Max went to Red Bull, the only teammate who gave him a serious run for his money consistently was Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. So the question is, and you know, we've all seen what Red Bull said about how he lost his mojo and his driving style, but how he's impressing in the sim and he gets on with Max, all the rest mm -hmm. of it. Maybe they're having a look to say, okay, we give Daniel these races just to see how he is. And if he proves himself, then we've got a viable number two option to, to Max, or well, not number two, but a second driver sure. with Max that we can put in and we know he can handle the pressure of winning races and fighting for championships. You know, it just it gives them an insurance policy almost. Yeah, I mean, it's from, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. And whether, as you say, if this is the audition and whether Checo should be worried. Um, but let's, well, he's lost his seat. Uh, Nick DeVries has lost his seat and Daniel Ricciardo is taking it. Now, I actually have been sort of mulling over it over the last week or so since this broke and I feel a bit sorry for Nick DeVries now I know that you have a relationship with the guy as well and you've always been so complimentary of his work work ethic and that kind of thing mm. he's been he's done 11 or 12 races including the one last season but 11 races this season yeah. in a to be completely honest the Alpha Tori is the worst car out of all yeah. 10 what more really? I mean, Yuki Tsunoda was dragging it around particularly well at the beginning and, and you know, got 11th and maybe a couple of points along the way. But he's not wasn't that far ahead of Nick DeVries. And after 10 races, to me, it feels a little bit harsh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with that, to be honest with you. I think, you know, Nick struggled at the beginning of the season. And you'd kind of expect that coming into Formula 1. Also, none of the feeder series go to any of the tracks at the beginning of the season. So he won't have ever been to Melbourne, been to, um, yeah. to Jeddah, because Jeddah wasn't there when he was in F2 you know been to Miami whereas Yuki would have had the previous year's experience of those circuits and you know since we got to the European races there was definitely an upturn in form for Nick um, and he was getting a lot closer and okay he still wasn't on the level of Sonoda but I think he was getting there and you know if you actually put it into a bit of a different position now as we say Alpha Tauri there's no question it's the worst car on the grid this year which it hasn't been in the past but if we go back a few years and we look at when George Russell was at Williams and Williams was the the worst car on the mm. grid to be honest probably even worse situation than the Alpha Tower was now the thing is with George is they gave him enough time and eventually George rose into becoming the, the superstar that he is now and Yuki looks like he's growing into that I think there's evidence when there is a bad car on the grid you have to give the drivers time to, to learn the ropes because they don't only feel the pressure from the team but they then feel the the external pressure because yeah. you know they're, they're literally fighting at the back of the grid and no matter what they do they're going to struggle so yeah. I feel that I personally feel that he was hard done by yeah I mean it's one of those um, you know <laughs> the whole thing's hypothetical because it would never happen but you put imagine you put Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen as the two drivers in the Alpha Tori. Where are they realistically putting that car? Because ultimately, and we have this conversation quite often on Track GP about is it is it 
is it more important to have a good car? Or is it more important to have a good driver if you can only have one? And if you put both of those two top drivers in the Alpha Tori, how much realistic? They're not going to win. No, no, they're uh, not going to uh, win. Forget honest, it. Honestly, what you'll what you'll see is, is what you've seen with good drivers in these bad cars over mm. the year. You know, just remember that when Max Verstappen went into a Red Bull, he won his first race, but he certainly wasn't winning a race in that Toro Rosso, even when, as it was then. Yeah. Um, even when the Toro Rosso was a, a significant amount better than it is now. Um, I think what you have with these guys is they'll they'll get similar to res results to you know what Yuki is probably getting, but then there'll be a day where there's an opportunity and bang they'll make the most of it. Yeah. And you know we did see that with Max in the Tour also, and we've seen it a few other times with other drivers. And yeah. I think, but you know it, it's very very difficult to prove yourself when you're in that situation. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and ultimately, Red Bull are so cutthroat, and their their junior program has brought some incredible drivers through. And, and you were making it, we were talking before we started, but you were making an interesting point about what Christian Horner said about all of this. Could you remind me about what you were saying there? Well, yeah, so, uh, you know, Christian uh, in the press in the recent in the recent months or so, he's made it obvious that he wasn't fa a fan of the freeze from the start. And you think to yourself, okay, that might be a little bit harsh. But when you actually, re you know, he gave a, a more in-depth interview in the last week, and it actually makes, you know, what he said makes a bit of sense. Mm. Because... The Alpha Tauri is part of the Red Bull Junior program, and Red Bull picks up these juniors from a young age. You know, people like Liam Lawson, Sebastian Vettel, Max Verstappen. Okay, Max maybe not quite as young, but still, that's that's the model of it. And they invest in these drivers to then hopefully get a return on their investment. And if only one in five or one in ten of those comes off and works, like a Danny Rick, like yeah. a, a Max, something like that, they get a massive return on the investment, mm. and it's well worth it. Now, they've got junior drivers currently in Formula 2, some really, really bright young talents. You've got Ayumu Owasa, you've got Enzo Fittipaldi, Dane Maloney, you know, we've got Liam Lawson in Super Formula. And they've invested money in these guys' careers. But with Nick, they haven't actually invested anything in him in his career up to this point. They just stuck him in. So all of a sudden, it means that your investment into these other drivers... Is that worthwhile? Okay, I mean, I don't know what, what the contracts are with the other drivers, and I'm sure they're all different. But the reality is a Formula 2 budget is, is can be north of 2 million euros. Oh, and God. if you're looking at four drivers and they're covering the whole thing, which I'm sure they're not, but if they are, then they're looking at 8 million euros investment a year. And then you kind of knock yeah. that on the side by taking someone who, who's a lot older than your other juniors. So in that side of it, for a junior program, so to speak, I, I kind of see where Christian's coming from. Mm, it's interesting. Um, and we'll get into, you know, I want to have a talk about Liam Lawson and Yuki as well and kind of how this this change could potentially affect affect them. But what happens next now for Nick DeVries? What, what, because he's not, he's not going to retire. He's 28. You know, he's still good, you know. Fernando Alonso is still driving beautifully at 42, so he could still have easily a good 10 years of driving. What happens next? Uh, I, Nick will be fine. Yeah. I, I promise you that. His, his street cred in uh, in Formula E, in sports cars, you know, in IndyCar, because he did a test there, yeah. I think it was at some point at the end of last year. His street cred in motorsport around the world is, is high enough. He will go on to have a very, very good career wherever he goes. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I, I know what his personality is like. I don't think that F1 door is closed. Interesting. I, I, I can see him going into some a very high level single seater championship, you know, something like IndyCar or maybe Super Formula, you know, or standing out in WEC because the level in the World Endurance Championship is so high now. Mm. And I, I can, I can see the possibility of him coming back in some formation in the next few years or so. Wow, very, very interesting. Well, as you said, he won Formula E, and won Formula Two, won did he Formula as well? Two, yeah. I mean, the CV speaks for itself, yeah. and so as you say. He's the sort of guy that will land on his feet with his yeah. work ethic as well. Um, 
What do we think we can expect realistically from Daniel Ricciardo taking that seat, though? What 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 would be like the best that can happen, really, I mean, in that car? You know, there's there's two answers to that question, and one of them is almost another. You know, there's two ways to answer that question: is what do we realistically expect, and what do Red Bull realistically? Expect? Okay, because we know how cutthroat their program is, and you know he's he's jumping in at Hungaroring, which is to be honest, it's it's a, the hardest place you could probably yeah. jump in, except for maybe one of the street circuits. I mean, the other thing is that you know he hasn't been racing anything. He's done a test at Silverstone the other week, but. Hungaroring is probably the most physical circuit on the calendar because it's absolutely nonstop. And yeah, it's one thing being in the gym as much as you can and all that, but nothing can prepare your body for the actual G-forces and sensations you get in a racing car. Mm. So, I, I, you know, he's a talented guy and he, he knows Formula One cars and he's got enough experience that I think he'll be okay. Um, and I'm sure Red Bull will probably say to him, look, we've got the summer break after this. We'll use this, you know, for you to get back into it and get used to the race weekend format again. Um, but, you know, the reality is he has to be faster than Sonoda. It's that simple. Okay, interesting. He, he's, if he's auditioning for that senior Red Bull seat, which he's made absolutely no secret of doing uh, in the last uh, in the last few days, he has to beat Sonoda. Maybe not this weekend, but over the run to the end of the year. Yeah, it's interesting because is there an element also that Yuki Sonoda, this is an audition for Yuki Sonoda because we know that Red Bull love, love to put a young driver in. Yuki is obviously young. He's been, uh, has a, overall not a terrible season, but he has been in a terrible car and doing some fairly decent things, you know, just missing out on points um, by one or two places quite regularly. Um, do we think we could almost see friction between the two of them because they both ultimately want a seat that isn't even open yet? We're talking about a seat that doesn't exist. I, I don't really, I don't, I don't, really think there'll be any friction because everybody in formula one knows that your biggest uh your biggest enemy is your teammate because yeah. that's the only person you can actually be really leveled up against um and you know look at what everyone's saying about yukin is because he he's you know he's beaten nick quite convincingly so yeah. far this year and so now everyone's going like oh okay yuki's the real deal but if you remember last year gasly was beating yuki and we were like oh maybe not with yuki now the interesting thing with yuki though is obviously his relationship with uh with honda Mm. and what Honda are going to do in the future. Because Honda always wanted a Japanese driver in Formula 1. And when Red Bull started that relationship, that was one of the big ploys to get Yuki in. And of course, Yuki has now proven that he's definitely, definitely deserves to be where he is. Yeah. Now, with Honda leaving Red Bull in, when the new engine regulations come along, you know, Honda are probably going to go to another team. There's been rumors of them going to, uh, to Aston Martin. I'm not sure whether they're confirmed yet. Well, wow. there has been rumors of that. Now... All of a sudden, if Yuki can put himself in the shop window to be in front of Daniel Ricciardo, well, that means if Honda go to another team and say, hey, we want to put Yuki in a seat, well, they've now got a very, very compelling case to be able to do that. And teams will go, yeah, no problem. We've seen him and he's beaten De Vries, he's beaten Ricciardo. So we'll have no problem taking him as our driver. And if they do go to Aston Martin, you know, Fernando Alonso is now well into his 40s and he looks as fast and as good as yeah. ever. But at some point he is going to want to retire yeah. and maybe when the new regs come along that might make sense for for him to retire and then honda can go hey as part of the deal we want yuki in one of our cars wow and so yuki for me he, he's under he's not just trying to get that red bull seat he's trying to get a a broader seat in terms of what honda decide to do with him very 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 interesting and i wonder is also is there an element that because Yuki Tsunoda obviously hasn't won a race mm -hmm. uh, in Formula One. But is there an element that he could learn from 
Daniel Ricciardo coming in as well, who who is such an experienced guy, and driven at loads of teams, and got some incredible race wins along the way. Yeah, you, you, it, to be honest, at any level in motorsport, it doesn't matter who your teammate is. You always learn something. Interesting. You always learn something. You know, and as I told you before, one of the things which I find impressive with Nick is his work ethic. Mm. Well, you know, Yuki, all of a sudden, we all remember what people used to say about him in the past, and how you know AlphaTauri had him moved to Italy because he was supposedly lazy and stuff like that. Well, maybe being with someone like Nick and learning off of Nick's work ethic is why he's having such a good year this year. It's so interesting. We yeah. don't know that, but you know, you you always learn something no matter what level of experience you're at, who your teammate is. You're, you're constantly, you're just like a sponge as a racing yeah. driver. You're just absorbing everything you can. I, if I had to sort of put down a prediction and I'll ask yours as well, I think if we were to wipe the points mm. now, uh, I think Daniel Ricciardo will outscore Yuki Tsunoda in the same car. For the rest of the season. Disagree. You think Yuki think will do Yuki, better? I think Yuki will do better. Very interesting. Do you want to put five pounds on it? Make it 10. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just lost a tenner. Uh, okay, interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll, you can clip that and we'll, uh, we'll come back to that on, when is it? End of November or something, I think, the final race. So I want to talk a little bit now about the sort of most talked about F1 driver that isn't actually an F1 driver yet. Everybody is saying his name. He's everywhere and really has been quite prominent in this conversation as well. People saying, should he have maybe taken Nick DeVries' seat? And that, of course, is Liam Lawson. Uh, Red Bull Junior driver has come through the ranks and is doing pretty incredible things, right? Yeah, he... Tell me about where he drives and, and what he's doing. So he's currently racing in Super Formula in Japan. Now, Super Formula is effectively Japan's domestic version of Formula One. Um, you know, the the... Japan kind of as an island has its own motorsport culture and everything. And they have two very big championships being Super GT and Super Formula. But Super Formula is seen as a career choice for the Japanese drivers. And so you've got drivers in there who have been doing it for absolutely for years. You know, there's a, uh, there's a driver now who's in his 13th year of it. And oh, my got, God. Wow. You've got uh, people like Kamui Kobayashi there. When I did it, I was racing against Takuma Sato. You know, that you've got Le Mans winners in there. It's mm. absolutely stacked and it's unbelievably difficult. And the cars are, are incredibly fast. You know, they would, um, they're probably three to four seconds quicker than a Formula 2 car. And Whoa. They're much closer to F1 than, uh, than anything else. They That's fa- they're and, incredibly and How many seasons did you do in Super Formula? I did one year of it. Wow. So I decided to go to sports cars. Um, and how was your experience? I, it, it's unbelievably difficult. Unbelievably hard. To be honest with you, when I went in, I, I needed a bit more experience in terms of engineering because the engineering side of it is just so complex. Wow. Um, but And also the speed of the cars, just getting your head around the, the, the speed of them is just completely bonkers. I mean, they just they, you get five lateral G for fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Oh, my and God. The, the difference compared to, uh, compared to like Formula 2 and Formula 1 as well is that the racing is pretty flat out. Mm. You know, you don't really have to save tires that much. And, you know, we got the interesting thing with Formula 1 not having tire warmers. There's no tire warmers in Japan. So wow. they have to do this on cold tires as well. So you have the whole experience of trying to warm up tires. And it's a seriously tough championship. And Liam is now competing in that. And he did in Super Formula, which I'm not sure any other driver's done in Super Formula. I might be wrong here. And there's been, as I said, there's been some loads of F1 drivers, Le Mans winners. Uh, everyone's done this championship. And he actually won his very first race in super formula which is unbelievable oh it's incredibly difficult and this goes on to another impressive stat about the guy right in 10 different categories that he's racing or different championships that he's raced in he won his first race in the category seven times 
which is oh my God. outrageous. And this we're including. So that's ten different types of motorsport, ten different types of cars, as it well, were. Not, not necessarily different types of cars, different okay. championships. But okay, okay, different <laughs> championships. Yeah, seven so in his fir- very first race <laughs> in the category, including including Formula Two, Super Formula, oh you know, God. DTM and DTM. You're up against factory drivers employed by manufacturers who do nothing but drive those cars. So this is seriously impressive. So that shows his adaptability levels yes. are incredible and there's, that's got to be quite appealing for a team because what we didn't see with Nick is that he didn't adapt to F1 maybe in the way that other people were expecting him to. He came in with a lot of um, expectation um, and ability as well but but the adapt the, he didn't adapt in the same way. Liam Lawson has a proven track record from what you've just said of adapting unbelievably quickly to his new car and his new surroundings. Yeah and you know everyone's saying oh why didn't Liam get the seat? Well we've already We've already touched on what I think the the connection is with Red Bull and Ricardo. Mm. The other thing, though, is Liam is actually second in the championship right now in Super Formula, and he's competing against uh, against a Toyota driver. And Liam's racing for a Honda team, and he, well, Mugen, which is a tuning arm of Honda. Um, okay. And the championship leader at the minute is racing for Tom's, which is the tuning arm of Toyota. So, with the credibility of Super Formula in Japan and how much marketing power there is. I'm very certain that Honda would have been very, very annoyed had Liam been pulled halfway through the championship when he's fighting for the championship. Interesting. Because Super Formula in Japan is a huge, huge deal from a marketing perspective for the manufacturers. So I'm sure had he been in something where it was a bit easier and a bit less marketing stuff going on outside, i.e. Formula 2, something like that, the situation probably would have been a little bit different. Yeah. But, you know, I, I and also the other thing as well, and... A friend of mine has spoken to Liam about this, what the difference is between F2 and Super Formula. And Liam has come out and said Super Formula is a lot better for getting you ready for Formula 1 because the cars wow. are, are just that quick. And having tested the Red Bull a few times, he knows he knows what a Formula 1 car feels like. That is really, really interesting because I was actually going to ask you about that. With them being quicker, that's closer to actually what you're going to experience in the Gs and the cornering and the downforce and ultimately the acceleration, the straight line speed. That is really, really interesting. So you think we're going to see him in an, in an F1 car one day? I'm willing. I, yeah, hundred percent guarantee. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Ricardo is being auditioned for that Red Bull seat, and then next year will it will basically be either okay, they know Ricardo can do it, and they'll bench him for another year before putting him in, in in the following year, or he'll take over Perez's seat next year. But I'm certain one way or another we're going to see Liam in that Alpha Tari next year because you with what he's been doing. You, you just can't keep him out. It's not possible because if Red Bull don't put him somewhere, I can guarantee another Formula One team is going to come and snatch him up. Yeah, yeah. Why, why wouldn't, you know, for example, maybe somebody like Williams, Williams. For example, Logan's struggling a little bit, then why don't you go for, for Liam? And Logan and Liam were teammates at Carlin last year in Formula Two. And, ah. you know, they were, they were pretty even. Um, but looking at the broader CV and especially what he's doing this year, then you'd probably pick Liam. Very, very interesting. You mentioned briefly there... Sergio Perez and I want to have a conversation about that because you take it at face value here a seat has become available at a much smaller team and the reserve driver from Red Bull is going into that all right cool how on earth does that affect Sergio Perez well is this the first piece of the puzzle as as you say they're auditioning Sergio Perez Yuki Tsunoda has his eye and, and very recently came out and said I'd absolutely love to go and get in a Red Bull car Sergio Perez is underperforming. We know that Red Bull are incredibly ruthless. Are they going to sack him off, cut him and put in one of potentially three guys with Liam Lawson? Liam Lawson, Yuki Tsunoda or Daniel Ricciardo. Should Sergio Perez be worried? Well, you know, I I think I... 
I think he should be, to be honest with you, mm. because the thing is, is we all talk about the drivers' championship because we're always interested in the the individuals, but the teams, ninety nine point nine percent of their focus is on that constructors' championship because that's where the prize money is. Yeah, and the difference between first and second is a significant number of million dollars. Yes, and so that's you know if you have if you have someone like Max who is we all know how Max is one of the, one of the goats and you know mm. he's at a certain level and you know, he generally will get more out of a car than most people can, but you need your rear gunner there. You need him, someone to be there consistently. And again, it's six races now. He hasn't got out, he hasn't made Q3. Oh, it's disgraceful and to be honest. Just, that is not acceptable, it's is just, it? At that level, it's just not good enough. And so, yeah, you have to put him under pressure because, okay, at the minute he's second in the Drivers' Championship, but just remember, Max would be leading the Constructors' Championship if he was the only driver in the Red Bull. You know, that's how good that situation <laughs> is right now. Oh, my God. Well, that's at the moment, Red Bull don't need Sergio Perez to be sweeping up the points because right. Max is doing both on his own. But as you said before, they've got their wind tunnel penalty coming in. Mm. New regulations as well. New regs. Everything could change at any moment. It's not going to be as easy as it currently is for Red Bull forever. At some yeah. point, they're going to hit a barrier and they're going to need somebody to be there sweeping up the the points of second third and if max crashes out winning those winning that race and they have experienced that because the period when the new the last huge huge set of new regs came in for 2009 up until i think it was 2013 vettel started winning championships from 2010 onwards mm. but at that period he had mark weber as his rear gunner so vettel was always there but whenever vettel had a bad day mark weber was always there to pick up the pieces yeah and you know schumacher had it with barry kello and irvine hackenen had it with coulthard yeah uh, sorry mclaren had it with coulthard and hackenen you know so you always need someone there and at the minute you can't see sergio doing that job if max had had a technical failure at uh, at silverstone then where was sergio when you needed him yeah very far back yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the distance exactly since you say about Max, he is, uh, I, I would, I would, I, I mean, for me, he, he already goes down as a goat, what he's done and what he's achieving. It's just out of this world good. And he doesn't seem like, it feels like the only thing that could stop him is himself going, I think I'm just going to retire. That's because <laughs> like, he's so good. It's absolutely ridiculous. But if you're Max Verstappen, you obviously have some sense of sway over the team because he's so good and they want to keep him sweet. They want to keep him winning. Who does Max Verstappen want as as the other driver in the seat? I, I think uh, I think Ricardo. They have such a good relationship. They have such a good relationship. A winning relationship. They have a winning relationship. They were teammates before. They had a very very frosty moment at Baku when they crashed into each other. Yes. And it seems like they handled that in a very good way because it seems like it almost got you know forgotten about yeah. by the next race if you remember some of the other rivalries Hamilton and Rosberg for example we all knew about that and it turned into a story Baku could have exploded in a huge way but all of a sudden it was kept and managed very very well mm. and I think Daniel has the confidence the maturity and the CV to be able to go up against someone like Max and kind of knows that he, he's got a high value of street cred and achieved quite a lot already. Whereas if you take someone like Yuki, you know, obviously Max Max and Perez work quite well, but I think at the minute that's because Max is so far ahead. Yeah. We have seen some friction between them in the past. Let's not forget Sao Paulo, Monaco oh last year. And that was something which could have blown up. So I think from Max's perspective, and we've seen how complimentary he's been about Daniel in the media recently, mm -hmm. I think that 
I think that he'd prefer Daniel. Plus, also, I'm not going to lie, Daniel seems like a great bloke to hang out yeah. with. You know, I'd like to have him as a teammate. And there is a, there's <laughs> got to be an element of of morale in yeah. NFL teams because you live with these guys, yeah. right? You travel the you travel the world with them for nine, ten months a year. Exactly. If, when you're not, you're testing with them. You're you're with these people all the time, and it feels like the morale with Sergio is just getting a bit sticky and a bit a bit eggy. I mean, I saw Sergio came out. Uh, and was uh, sorry, Sergio was asked, uh, how do you feel about Daniel Ricardo going into the Alpha Tori? And Checo said, I really don't care. Mm. And somebody that really doesn't care doesn't come out and say, I really don't care. He would be like, oh, yeah, it's good to see him back in the spot. So I think he is feeling Which is the what pressure. Matt said, by the way. <laughs> you know, there you go. Who's not feeling the pressure. Correct. Uh, look, I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm going to ask you for one small prediction. Mm. We're going racing in Hungary next. This weekend, where does Daniel Ricciardo finish in that race? 13th. Okay, no points. No points. I think I agree. I do, I, I, I'd love a fairy tale. I don't know why 13th suddenly came in. That was just, <laughs> just, I don't know why. but <laughs> Unlucky or lucky for some. Uh, I agree. I don't think it's a pointer. I don't think it's a pointer for either AlphaTauri actually no. this week. But who, who, who wins out of those two? Who comes higher up? Uh, Yuki. Okay, interesting. Well, if they did like an 11th and a 13th, that would actually, I mean, no points, but that would be quite a good week for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll play devil's advocate. <laughs> Daniel Ricardo 10th. One point. I'm doing it. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> I don't know why I've said that. Uh, do you want I don't bet? Yeah, I don't want to bet on that, but we do. We will stick to our bet. You think uh, if we wipe the points, Yuki will finish with more points than Daniel Ricardo by the end of the season from, from now. How many races will that be? This is our 11th. No, yeah, this is our 11th so we've race. We've got 13 races left, haven't we? Yeah, or the, I can't remember off the top of my head. Because we've lost it? two. And I, it used crazy. To be 16 races of the year, you know. Well, and they're talking about uh, China's. It is China's 24 races yeah. next year. Yeah. And we'll do a little bit of a conversation about the kind of the, the, the longevity of the season. 24 races, yeah, man. It's long. It's very and Max long. has been quite critical of that. Yeah. Um, but for now, stay with us because uh, it's all going on. We're going to be covering. Everything, of course, we'll be doing the live stream for the race uh, on Sunday for Hungary. And Daniel Ricciardo is going to score some serious points. You heard it here first, everyone. Uh, thanks for watching. We'll be back uh, again very, very soon. Richard, thank you as always. Appreciate Pleasure, your time mate. and your insight. Um, but for now, don't forget to subscribe, like, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll see you for the next one. Thanks very much. Podcast Network.